This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Wonderful to be together again. If you have your Bible with you, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And uh, we are finishing up the book of Ecclesiastes. Next week we'll, we'll uh, close it down and finish the last section of the book. And let me just say a little bit about what we've uh, talked about to lead us into today. Now, last week we covered chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and here was kind of the, the big idea of that. And here's why it's important, because Ecclesiastes doesn't write in, in weeks, so he doesn't write this for you to read this week and this for you to read this week. It just all flows together. So what we talked about last week is completely important to what we're going to talk about today and really drives what we're going to talk about today. So here's what we talked about last week, in case you weren't here uh, or have a short memory, like I do. Uh, what we talked about was throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he has been driving home this point that God rules over all, that God is in control of everything, that God sets the seasons of our lives. And uh, so it is a book that pushes us to see God in control and, and calls us to have joy because of that. Now, after talking about that for about 10 chapters in chapter 11, he says this, look, just because God is in control, that doesn't mean that what you do doesn't matter. In other words, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, is an argument against hyper-Calvinism. It's coming against it. Well, he, he wouldn't know what hyper-Calvinism is. It was way before him. But it's the idea that if God controls everything, it doesn't matter what I do. And so he's going against that. And he's saying, look, it totally matters what you do. So get busy. God is sovereign, so you get busy. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that, that uh, in, in verses 1 through 6, to cast your bread on the water, to give what you have. In chapter 6, he says to plant seed, to sow seed, a lot of seed. Sow seed in the morning, sow seed at night, because you don't know what God, what, what he's going to produce, what kind of harvest is going to come from the seed you plant. So the big idea was this, if God is sovereign, and he is, if God rules and if God is in control, that should not lead us to inactivity, that should not cause us to freeze and say, it doesn't matter what I do, it should cause us all the more to be active, to invest what we have, to plant the seeds that we have relationally, uh, in our jobs, in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in reaching the lost, with our finances. Leverage everything you have. Plant your seeds because you don't know where God's going to bring a crop up, is what he says. You don't know what's going to be fruitful, in other words. Nobody wants to die sitting on a bag of seeds. You want to plant your seeds and see what God will bring. So that's the idea. So he goes from there... And then in the passage we're going to read today, he addresses young people. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's very few sections of Scripture that particularly, pointedly address young people. There's not very many at all. This is one of them. 
I mean, everything in the Bible applies to young people, but this specifically applies to them. And here's what's so amazing about this is that uh, I'm just going to share this for my personal enjoyment and maybe you'll enjoy it or maybe this will just be a private moment for me. But um, months ago, I plotted out Ecclesiastes. So when we do a book, we read it, you know, study it ahead of time and then mark out all the sections for preaching. So that was marked out in the spring. So some or whenever, sometime in the spring, we slotted that today we would talk about this passage having no idea because I'm not look, really looking at a calendar. I'm just looking at messages and popping them on there. And one of the few passages geared to young people landed on back to school Sunday. Now, is that amazing or what? I can see you're entirely underwhelmed. But I, I thought that was pretty, pretty amazing. And so tomorrow school starts. Uh, if you're in the Frisco area, you're starting school. If you're in college, schools are going back. Some private schools have already started. Some home schools may have already started. But public schools and colleges and all that um, are, are starting tomorrow. So this is a good back-to-school word, I hope, for all of uh, the young folk in the room. So let's, uh, let's read the passage, and then we'll pray. 11, verse 7. Light is sweet... And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up. At the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word that you speak to us, and we thank you for timely words. We thank you for how we landed on a a passage on mission last week where that's where we are as a church these days. We thank you for uh, this passage on Back to School Sunday. And we pray for all the younger folk in our room. We pray for their parents. We pray for the teachers. Um, And we just pray that you would speak to all of us uh, from this passage today, Lord. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to not waste opportunity. Help us not to squander your gifts. 
Help us not miss the day that we are in, we pray. Speak, Spirit of God, and bring encouragement and faith to us all, and especially the young in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what's a young person, I guess I should say? The whole passage relates to everybody. As we're walking through this, you'll see. So if you think you're not young, please don't check out. Um, But I certainly have middle schoolers in mind and high schoolers, college students, post-college people, you know, post-college age or career age, getting going, you know, people that are just getting married and just starting a family or whatever. I don't know, 30 might be a good marker. Uh, In the 60s, anybody over 30 wasn't to be trusted, so that meant you were old. And probably a better marker would be in the Bible times. Jesus started at 30, and that's kind of in the Hebrew culture when you were seen as uh, established. So under 30, but I'm going to talk a lot today about those who are uh, heading into school and those just out of school, that group. Well, here's the first thing he says, and it's to everybody. Verse 7, light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So if you were older, the call is to rejoice in all of life. Rejoice in all the days God's given you because life is good. I mean, it's fundamentally what he says here. Light is sweet. It's good to see the sun. He contrasts that in the next verse saying that the days of darkness are coming. But ultimately, if you know God, you are living in the light. You, you may have days of darkness, but even there you know God, and so you experience something that is worthy of joy, something that is worthy of giving thanks. And yes, we do encounter, as verse 8 says, what's coming that is vanity. But if you'll remember in the book of Ecclesiastes, whenever he's talking about the vanity of life, he's always making a comparison between life under the sun, is what he calls it, which is life without reference to God, and life for those who know God. And for those who do not know God, everything ultimately is meaningless. But for those who do know God, even the smallest mundane activity like eating lunch, like going to school tomorrow, like, uh, it, like uh, work, your, your marketplace job, whatever you do, work in your home, whatever you do, all of that can be filled with joy if we know God because God gives those gifts and God gives the gift of enjoying our toil and our work. So the reality is that though life is vanity when we get our eyes off of God and think about fulfillment just in life and ourselves apart from Him, life is full of light and joy when we think of God. And so we are to uh, live a life that is full of rejoicing. To rejoice means to take joy, to be joyful again. So there's kind of a remembering aspect. To be glad, to have a heart that is full of God and His purposes. So we can have a joyful life because life is a gift. Now, then in verse 9, he's going to particularly target young people. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, women are included as well, O young person, it's the generic man, rejoice, O young person, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So middle schooler, high schooler, college student, person in the workplace full time, person that's just got out of school and you're in the workplace, you, that's who he's talking to, young people. Here's the command. Be joyful. 
Ecclesiastes is amazing because we, we tend to think, oh yeah, it's kind of a depressing book. The guy is so depressed. He's always talking about vanity. Yet he comes with this stuff where the, it's really a book about joy. And joy is commanded. In the book, at numbers of times, he talks about enjoying your life. Do you know this is the requirement of God? That we live in a life that we enjoy, that we enjoy our life, that we take joy in God. So what he's saying, young person, is take all the joy that God has for you. And do that particularly when you're young. He says rejoice in your youth. Now, that means while you're young, rejoice. But there's also a sense rejoice that you are young. Now, I'm going to sound like the old guy here right now and, um, but, and saying back when I was, you know, that whole deal, back when I was your age. Uh, but here's the old guy talk for you, that you just don't know how precious life is. You don't know how good you have it. You don't know what a choice season of life you are in if you are young. Lots of reasons. One is you don't have the weight of responsibilities that you probably will have. There's not people looking. There are not people looking to you like they will one day where you will lose a lot of the freedom you have because you will have responsibilities. There will be people and responsibilities that fill your calendar. But right now you have freedom. You don't have a lot of the pressures that come later in life. That there is, and I'm not saying you have an easy life. I'm not saying that you don't have challenges because you do. I did when I was your age. But there is a sense where there's something good you have about where you are. You have fewer encumbrances. You can take risks at the age you are right now that older people can't because of the responsibilities we have. You have strength. The older I get, the more I appreciate just energy. I mean, one of my most covetous desires is to watch like a three-year-old run around the house like that and go, oh, I wish I could do that. Can somebody help me up off the sofa here? You know, but you get older, you don't have the strength. The glory of a young man is his strength. You're creative and hopeful. Young men, dream dreams, see visions, see visions rather, young people. You have your whole life in front of you. And so there's all this hope. There's all this opportunity. You have a lot more opportunity than I do. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm at a stage where I've already, hopefully not sown all my wild oats, but planted some seed at some point. So you plant your seed and you get a harvest. You're planting seed for a harvest that, if God gives you long life, will come up for the rest of your life. I've already got a lot of harvest behind me and a lot of harvest present. So I can plant seeds like you, but I won't live to see a lot of what happens from the seeds I plant. You do. You've got all this opportunity. You've got creativity. You've got vision. You've got strength. You've got room for relationships. They say, well, I'm pretty busy. I got school. I got a part time job. I know you're busy, but you don't have the weight of burden that you will one day feel probably about life. There's a freedom. And so enjoy your youth, enjoy the opportunity, enjoy the season, enjoy the privilege. Don't miss it. You have opportunities to plant and to see what God will do. You have opportunities to receive the privileges of grace and to respond with joy. That's what he says. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. 
He's basically going to say there's plenty of time later in life where are going to hit a lot of difficulties. And he writes a poem that we'll walk through where he talks about being quite aged and approaching death. Now, if you're quite aged and approaching death, those are days of rejoicing as well. Because he says no matter what our days are, we're to rejoice in them. And so we want to be Christians who, uh, who die well who suffer well in old age, who glorify God through that season of life. So he's not saying bad people and death are bad, and uh, I mean old people are bad and young people are good. What he's saying is that when you are older and you have limitations, and especially when you are approaching death, you don't have the opportunity that a young person has. So don't miss it. That's just true for all of us. Now Ecclesiastes is always saying things you're not supposed to say in church, I think. And uh, so he does that in the next thing to young people. He says, hey, all you young people, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Let your heart direct you. Do what your heart wants to do. Do what you see that looks good. That's what he says here. Now, if we had a youth retreat and we entitled it, Do What Your Heart Wants to Do, and do what looks good to your eyes, we'd have some parents asking about the content of that retreat and perhaps not so happy about it. And if that's all we said and we didn't take it in the full course of Scripture, that would be a little provocative, wouldn't it, to say something like that. But the fact that we react to that, I think it has something to say about how we view the Christian life. So it's a challenging statement that sort of exposes our general approach to the Christian life. So, for instance, consider this. Is the Christian life, in your understanding of the Christian life, he's saying follow your heart. Is the Christian life primarily, not exclusively, but is it primarily about avoiding all the sinful options that are out there? Or is the Christian life primarily about pursuing the multitude of God-glorifying options that are out there? In other words, is the Christian life primarily a big no, or is it primarily a big yes? If we're being told to follow our heart, that says something about that. Is the Christian life fundamentally about stuff to avoid because you are living with a constant awareness about the badness of your heart? That's his word here, the heart. Is it a lot of stuff to avoid because of the badness of my heart? Or is the Christian life fundamentally about following the God-given desires that he places in the heart of a believer in Christ through the Spirit? Well, it's ultimately not an either-or question. It's a both-and. But where is our emphasis? The Christian life should primarily have as an emphasis the new heart and the new life. When Jesus comes into our lives, when the Spirit dwells in us, something should really change. And that should affect our desires. So here in this passage, he is saying, follow, when he's saying, follow the heart, he's doing it with the way that he writes the whole book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it is all of life is a huge yes. There are no's to be sure, but it's a huge yes, because here's what he does in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, look, Fundamental Christians tend to think of things this way. There's a lot of really bad stuff to avoid. The world's everywhere. It's all over the place. It's all over me. It's all in me. So there's all this stuff to avoid. And then there's a few things to pursue. Devotional time, prayer, Bible, church. A few things to pursue. And then there's a lot of stuff in the middle that doesn't really matter. Going to school, going to work, playing sports, 
planet. That, that kind of stuff doesn't matter. But there's the really bad stuff that matters, and there's the few good things that really matter. Ecclesiastes says that's not life. Life for the Christian is it all matters. And we're to avoid what the Scripture says to avoid, but it still leaves a whole life, a whole world of stuff to do for the glory of God. So he takes Bible reading, going to church, family devotions, prayer, witnessing, serving the needy, giving your money. These are all God-glorifying things. He takes that and expands it and says, lunch, going on a date with your wife, listening to music, working in your yard, going to your job, doing your homework. All of that can be done as worship to God. All of that can be done. So it's not saying we narrow this. It's just saying this is carried into all of our lives. So that's what he says. You can eat and drink and do all your toil for the glory of God, enjoying your life. That's what Ecclesiastes, that's the whole point of the book. Joy in all of life. So that means when you wake up tomorrow to go to school, why does he keep reminding us of that? When you wake up tomorrow, because I'm trying, I love you, I'm trying to help you out. You can wake up and say, this is a moment for worshiping God. God has got great opportunities. I'm picking up my bag of seed. I'm going to class, or if you school at home, I'm, I'm going into the, uh, to the desk in the other room, or whatever you do. If you go to college, I'm driving to the college, whatever it is, I'm taking my bag a seed and I'm going to invest it. I'm going to plant for the glory of God this year. That's what I'm going to do and, and trust the Lord with that. So the Christian life really is a whole lot of yes. In the garden, there's tons of yes. In the garden of Eden, plant, work, keep the garden. That's all yes. There's one no, don't eat of that tree. And we turn it around and say, like, there's a little bit of yes, read your Bible and pray, and then a ton of no and a ton of doesn't matter. Now, I know we're not in Eden, but that's flipped. There should be a whole lot more yes in my life. There should be a whole lot more le- yes for me as a parent with my kids. There should be a whole lot more yes for you if you are a student because you can glorify the Lord in whatever you're doing, unless it is something that's sinful from the Scripture, and there's obviously plenty of things to avoid there. Okay, so this is what he says. Enjoy the ways of your heart. Follow the ways of your heart, the side of your eyes. You know that all these things will bring you into judgment. Now, you know, when I first read that, this, let me reveal my heart. This is what I thought. I thought he was saying, tell all the young people to follow their heart and have a great time, and then let them know that God will get you in the end. So you go ahead and do all that stuff, youngins, but you're going to stand before God and he's going to nail you. Well, we are going to stand before God, and our sins that are in Christ will all be forgiven. But what is the context? Is the context don't avoid a lot of bad stuff? No, the context for judgment is, are you rejoicing in your youth? The context for judgment here is, is you walking in the cheer of your heart? Are you enjoying God? So we are accountable to God not to follow the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are accountable to God not to give in to sinful temptation. We are accountable to God for to not sin with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. So we, we get that about judgment. But the real context here is God saying, did you enjoy me? Did you enjoy your life? Did you waste your youth? Or did you live your youth for my glory? Did you worship me in the simplest things? Were you a student who studied for my pleasure and my glory to use what I gave you? Were you a person that used the opportunities that you had? That's the whole seed from from verses 1 through 6. That's the context. It's not like he went through a list of all the worst sins and said, you'll be judged for these. 
He went through, enjoy God and live a life saying yes to God in what he calls you to do. And if, remember, you're going to stand before God. It's a very, very counterintuitive approach, isn't it? Wow, I'm accountable to God for joy. I'm accountable to God for gratitude. I'm accountable to God for loving him and thanking him for what he's done. I'm accountable to God for being appreciative for all that he's given me. Oh, that's a very, very, I'm accountable for enjoying my school, enjoying my parents, enjoying my siblings, enjoying my church, enjoying my extracurricular activities, enjoying my part-time job for the glory of God, enjoying him in that. I'm accountable to God for that. It's a, it's a, different, it's a different take. That's not everything the Bible says, but that's what he says in this passage. We're required to enjoy our life because it's a gift. Now, part of rejoicing also includes this next phase, uh, phrase, young people. Remove vexation from your heart. Sounds like a surgical procedure. What's a vexation? I've got to get that vexation out of my heart. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. The word vanity is used, it means a vapor or a smoke that's here and disappears. So sometimes the emphasis is meaningless, and sometimes meaninglessness, and sometimes the emphasis is how it's fleeting. I think it's fleeting here. So he's saying, get vexation out of your heart, whatever that is. Get pain away from your body because your, your youth is fleeting. It's like smoke. It's like you breathe out on a cold, frozen day, and you see your breath. That's a vapor, a smoke, and then it's gone. That's your life. So remove vexation. Well, what is vexation? Vexation is uh, things that are, uh, it can mean sort of irritable, frustrating, or it can mean things that are worrisome and cause anxiety. So he's saying don't live an anxious life. Don't live a worried life. Don't live a vexed life. Don't carry the burden and the weight of sort of the frustration and the, um, uh, and the, and the anxiety that can happen when we're worried about the future. Now, why would he say that here? Well, because the whole book he's been talking about this point. God is good and God rules and God's in charge of everything. So if we trust God, we take our worries and we cast them on him. 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your anxieties because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. The message of the Bible is God has got it. God has got it under control. So therefore, it's sinful for me to live a life of worry and anxiety as if God doesn't exist. Rather, get the anxiety, the vexation, these kind of frustrations. That'd be one as well, frustrations and irritations. Well, God, things happen in my life that are frustrating and irritating. Some, some of them we can do something about. Others we can't. So I have to trust God. Rather than live a vexed life, I have to trust God. Lord, help me to give thanks to you and be joyful in the middle of that irritating situation. Or help me not worry and live in anxiety. So many young people live with just weight and worry and anxiety over their life. There's not a freedom. He's saying you're young. Be free in the Lord. Trust the Lord. Don't carry the world on your shoulders in a vexing way. Your, your youth is passing and there will be plenty of times later in your life where you will be burdened and, and tempted towards anxiety. So right now, just get that out. How do you get it out? You cast it to the Lord and you trust him. And as a parent, I would say sometimes we exasperate our children by tempting them in this way. So where do we get worried kids? Where do we get worried middle schoolers, college students? A lot of them because we're raising them in an environment that's vexing. We're putting pressure on them. 
message to all parents in Frisco and this area and this culture. If Junior doesn't get into the right preschool at age three, he might still make it into college. Everything's going to be okay. Hey, sports dad, if Junior doesn't hit a home run off the tee, life is not over. Stop reliving your failed high school athletic experience through your five-year-old and creating all of this pressure on him. Just take a deep breath and let him have some fun, okay? That, that is, we can be vexing to our own kids. And for Christian parents, it's easy to say, oh yeah, sports dad, oh yeah, music dad, you've got to be playing five hours a day at age three because we want you to be, uh, you know, some famous uh, piano player or something like that. Pick your, pick your thing. We're going to go to science class and you're going to go to science camp and we're, we're looking for at least by your senior year of high school you've discovered a cure to cancer. So high pressure on all the kids. And it's easy to look at academic, over academic parent, over sports parent, over uh, music parent and say, yeah, yeah, I'm not like that. But there's also over Christian parent. This is the parent that demands of a three-year-old the expectations that a three-year-old would act like a disciple who's 25 years old. And feels the pressure and the fear to if we are not serving God in the fullness of obedience like an adult at age seven, then there's major trauma. And so there could be an, a, 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 an anxiety for righteousness that is placed. Now, there should be no lowering of a standard of biblical righteousness, but there should be a grace and a patience and a shepherding, and a fathering the way the Lord shepherds and fathers us, which says, you know, a five-year-old person's not going to act like a 30-year-old saint who's been saved for 20 years. Let's take a deep breath. We're not trying to raise five-year-olds that are the equivalent of a 40-year-old Christian. We're trying to raise five-year-olds, and then 10-year-olds, and then 16-year-olds, and then 18-year-olds, and then 20-year-olds, that when they're an adult, they are acting like a 20-year-old disciple. Trusting the Lord, relying on the Lord. Now, if God is sovereign, does that mean we pull back? Absolutely not. Last week we said God is sovereign, so get busy. Let's get busy parenting. But let's trust the Lord. I heard Ray Ortland Jr. say in a message this last week that I heard, he said, this is the Christian life. It is rest in motion. I love that. It's resting in the sovereignty of God, and let's get busy. Not trusting our busyness, our activity, not tr- trusting in God. It's rest in motion. It's not rest doing nothing, and it's not motion ignoring God. Either are, are inappropriate. It is rest in motion. So let's don't create vexation for our kids with regard to their sports or their, uh, or their music or their a- academics or whatever. Let's take a deep breath, trust the Lord, and get out and plant some seed. And, uh, and let's do that for their discipleship as well. Be faithful to point them to the Lord and trust that as we continue to plant seed in their lives, plant seed in their lives, plant seed in their lives, that God will use that, those means of taking that gospel seed in their life and bearing a huge crop through diligent seed planting in their lives. So, young people, don't be vexed. It's, it's a time to... To trust the Lord, cast your care on him. He also says, take away pain from your body. I don't have a lot to say about that other than uh, if it's legal and, and you can get rid of pain by it, then 
then let's go for it. Let's get rid of it. There's nothing spiritual about inviting physical pain. If you can deal with it, get rid of it. I'll let you talk to your parents and your family doctor on the ramifications of that. Um, and we'll pray for you if you've got pain. But ultimately, uh, I'll let you take that one out of, out of uh, deal with that one later. Okay, next he goes to remember. So he starts with rejoice. Young person, rejoice. Rejoice in God. Rejoice in the season of life. Follow your heart. Take, receive the benefits of where you are and live for the glory of God. Next, he says, remember, verse 1, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. I must tell you this, that in the first service, when I read, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, it thundered. I mean, it was kind of a wake-up call. So everybody really listened to that verse, because <laughs> God, God speaks through the Scripture, but he was, uh, he was speaking to us again. Uh, through creation, saying, listen up, young people, they've made it thunder. Remember, his first command is to rejoice and then to remember. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now, when the, when the scripture, the Old Testament in particular, speaks about remembering God, it's not just talking about don't, sort of don't, don't forget. Like, I forgot my homework, and like I forgot my creator the whole days of my youth. It's not talking about like that kind. Remember has to do with having a regular, constant remembrance. Like what would happen for someone who walks in a relationship with God? So the young person who walks in a relationship with God is thinking, remembering, considering God in his life. God's alive. God's active. God's near. God's in his word. God's true. And so we're thinking about that. In our lives. That's the kind of remembering. Uh, Philip Ryken said this in his commentary about this. To remember God is to live our whole lives for him. It is to be mindful of God in every circumstance, including him in all our plans, praising him for all his blessings, praying to him through all our troubles. The best time in life to do this is when we are still young enough to give a whole lifetime to God's service. So he's saying remembering him is walking with him. It's thinking about God. It's living for him. It's living under the authority of his word. It's living in the fear of God. We're going to see that next week. We're created to live in the fear of God, ultimately, trusting him. And so that's what he's talking about in remembering. And I love what he says in his quote. He says, the best time to do this is when we're young because we have a whole lifetime for God's service. What's so choice about your age? What's so precious and valuable about where you are is you've got your whole life in front of you. I noticed at some point people stopped saying that to me. You've got your whole life in front of you. I don't have my whole life in front of me. But if you're in middle school, high school, college, you're 25, you're 30, I think at 31 we stopped saying you've got your whole life in front of you. But if you're under that, you really do. You've got your whole life in front of you. To remember God. That's why it's so important to remember as a young person because your future is, you're, you're paving your future. You're planting seed right now for a crop that will harvest later. And this is why it's so vital not only to live a life of gratitude and joy in God, experiencing Him, knowing Him, but to remember Him. And look what he says. He doesn't just say remember God. He calls himself God something particular. Remember your Creator. And what does he mean? Just read Genesis 1 and 2, always think about the seven-day creation. Is that what he's talking about? Well, that would be worthy to think about how God created the world. That is wonderful. But we want to take that not only macro, but at a micro level too. God created you. 
Think about that. Remember when you were young that God created you. Everything you are, everything you have, God is sovereign and He created it. God gave you the parents that you have. And it was not a mistake that He gave you the parents that you have. God gave you the siblings that you have. And it was not a mistake if you have siblings. It was not a mistake that you have those siblings. God gave you the friends that you have, the gifts and abilities that you have, the opportunities that you have, the life, where you live, what you do, where you sow and plant your seed. God gave all of that to you because he is the creator. Creator doesn't just mean he spoke and everything came into existence. Yes, it means that. But he is also the creator of you, and he is sovereign over all of your life. Look back at chapter 5. He says something very telling in verse 19 that applies here. He writes, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. It is a gift of God, all that he's provided, and the power to enjoy what he's provided, and to accept what he's provided, his lot, and rejoice in our toil. That's the gift of God. So here's what he's saying. He's talking about enjoying our lives. First of all, it's acknowledging what he has done, who he's made us, what he's provided. Secondly, it's receiving the ability, the gift of enjoying what he's provided. Thirdly, it's, it's celebrating our lot, where he has placed us and what he has provided. So it's rejoice in your youth, remember your creator in the days of your youth. The problem is that most young Christians, and older ones for that matter, lack joy. We don't really live a life that's compellingly joyful. We don't really live a life that's characterized by enjoying our toil and the simple things in life that he speaks about here. And I think there's two primary reasons for that. One is in the whole Bible and the second's in Ecclesiastes. The one that's in the whole Bible is we don't often appreciate the gospel. We don't live in the good of the fact that God rightfully could judge me and banish me to hell for my sins, but he sent Jesus to die for my sins and pay the price and be buried and raised on the third day so that all my sins could be forgiven if I believe in Jesus. And not only can all my sins be forgiven, but Jesus resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father and poured out his Spirit. So now God lives in us. And so he gives us power to live for his glory according to the scripture. He gives us power to obey. So he forgives all our sins and increasingly is making us little by little more like Jesus. So we forget the gospel and we start thinking we deserve a whole lot more than we have and we start grumbling and complaining and I don't have joy. When I think of all that I have in light of what I deserve, that's joy. That's party time. That's rejoicing in life. That's I can't believe that God's still letting me breathe air on his earth. And not only that, but he loves me. He welcomes me. He's a father. He's singing over me. He's working in my life. Unbelievable. So when we forget the gospel, I think we lose joy. But here's the second one. When we forget that God is sovereign over our lives. Young people, if you can settle the gospel, and if you can settle God's sovereignty in your soul, life will be very different. And here's what I mean by sovereignty. If you can settle in your soul that God's the creator, that God worked in my life, that God ordained my life, if you, let's get very practical. If you can say before God, God gave me the body that I have, not someone else's body. God made me the person I am. Now, I'm not saying you can't, there's nothing you can do. Guys can hop in the gym and gals too, and you can, you can muscle up a little bit or something. 
can drop a few pounds, gain a few pounds. There's certain things you can do. But basically, you look like you do. I look like I do because this is how God made us. And so once we stop comparing and stop craving to be someone else and come to the realization that this is who God has made me, this is how he's made This is my personality. Now, if you're introverted, you can become more extroverted. If you're obnoxiously extroverted, you can reel it in a little bit and uh, be a little more introverted. So you can change some of those factors. But your personality, you're basically who you are. And so when you can basically say, God saved me, God created me, God loves me, he's the creator, I'm rejoicing in the creator, and I'm rejoicing, rejoicing in 519, his lot, the lot that he has given me. I'm rejoicing in that, and instead of wishing that I was someone else sitting on a bag of seeds, looking over there and saying, I wish I could do what that person could. I wish I was uh, athletic like they are. I wish I was musical like they are. I wish I was smart like they are. As soon as you can say, yes, I want to grow and mature in all the gifts God's given me, but I'm going to relax and say, God, I am who you've made me. So how can I use who you've made me? My personality, my stature, my gifts, my opportunities for the glory of God. The sooner we can settle that, and we never fully settle it, of course, but as soon as we can settle that foundationally, you can relax. You can remove vexation from your life, and you can begin to get on with what God has for your life. I have the parents that I have, and that is a gift from God. As soon as I can uh, celebrate the parents that God has given me, the better off I will be. God has given me the schooling that he's given me. He's given me the friends that I have. On and on, you get it. But, but remember God, remember what he's called you to, remember what, how he's made you. problem is we don't remember our creator oftentimes, especially in our youth. We remember our problems. We remember our complaints. We remember how we wish it was. We remember our school, our jobs, our clothes. We remember our sports, our music, our iPhones. We remember our movies, our video games, our computer. We, we remember so many things. And we don't remember our Creator in the days of our youth. Listen, when you see a young person, when you encounter a young person, middle school, college, post-college, when you encounter a young person who is living a life rejoicing in their life, they love their life, not because of the stuff, but because of the God who has given it to them, and they've received the gift of God to enjoy their life. When you encounter a young person that loves their life because they love God and they're trusting him, when you meet a young person who's secure in the sovereignty of God, they're remembering their creator in the days of their youth. They're trusting, they're outwardly oriented, they're relating to the difficulties of life, trusting God and in faith, and they're joyful about it all. You're meeting something that's very rare in this culture. You're meeting a person that's very rare. And when someone like that shows up on the scene, God begins to work through them and change other people's lives. When we talk about casting seed like we did last week, I think this group of people I'm speaking to today is the primary harvest. Trusting people like me will become, my age will become Christians. I'm trusting residents at Rambling Oaks will become Christians. We're trusting all kinds of people will become Christians. But the reality is most people become Christians between about 12 and 25 if they don't go up in a Christian family in particular. That's usually where people grow, become Christians. So it's the harvest, and you have a, if you remember your Creator, and you live in a rejoicing life, you can be used by God to affect many people. This is what affected me. When I was in high school, I was, uh, I was a Christian. I had received the Lord. I believe I was born again. I was a Christian, but I wasn't really living for the Lord. 
And so my end of my junior high, first of my high school years, I wasn't really living for the Lord. And I remember my, my ninth grade year, I came in contact with a kid who was radically saved by God. And he started talking to me about his youth group and what was going on. And, and it, it, was, it wasn't uh, pizza and dodgeball. He was telling me, and they, they may have done that, but he was telling me about what was happening. That's not what he was most excited about. I like pizza and dodgeball because we rejoice in pizza and dodgeball because all life's for the glory of God. But he was saying, he was saying what he was really excited about. They were praying for people that were getting healed in their youth group. Like, whoa, like, like God's really showing up at your youth group. And I was affected. I thought, this guy, he's like God is alive to him. I don't, I don't have that kind of Christian life. I'm not one of those. Then my sophomore year, I go into French class, I take French, don't remember anything about it. We. I've got we. I don't, that's all I've got. I don't even remember no. Is it no? I don't know. I bet we. That's all I got. But I remember Steve well. Steve's a guy in my class. He is passionate for the Lord. And so right at the beginning of the year, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I told him, yeah, I'm a Christian. He says, great. I am too. And he starts talking to me about stuff. But it was real quick. It was obvious real quick. I'm not that kind of Christian. Because he's telling me, hey, guess what happened? He comes in one day. In the previous class, I witnessed to this kid. I shared the gospel with this kid. Let's pray for him. Let's pray that he becomes a Christian like we are. I didn't care about stuff like that. I'm like, whoa. I'm not even thinking. Later, he told me that he and about three or four other friends, he could detect that I was uh, not really walking with the Lord. I was nominal. He, he could detect that. And he and about three or four other friends started praying for me by name. Told me that. So all of a sudden, God just exploded in my heart. It was, very, it was an explosion that happened in a very subdued way. So I had these people praying for me. I'm thinking, I don't think I'm really living like these other people are. So one day, I distinctly, very distinctly remember it. I've got another friend who's like me, Christian in name, church kid who isn't passionate about the Lord, church kid who's not rejoicing in the Lord, church kid who is not remembering their creator in the day of their youth. Very common problem. And so I'm that kid. He's that kid. I have to ask him. I knew he went to church. Are you a Christian? Yeah. He has to ask me. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Never thought to mention that in our whole relationship. But yeah, we're both Christians. And then I said to him, you know, do you realize we don't live like Christians? And he said, yeah, we don't live like Christians. And I said, would you like to start? What if we started living like Christians and, and God started working? Now, the Holy Spirit's doing all this. And he says, yeah, let's do it. And I said, I said okay, great. The next day we're lab partners. We're in science. And I just, I remember talking and said, now's the time. And so we just looked over to the girl next to us, and we started witnessing. I don't even know how to preach the gospel. We start telling this girl she needs to get saved. Jesus died for her sins. We just started, and the game was on at that point. As soon as I outed myself, got, it was outed, became, told people I was a Christian. When that happened, things went crazy. Because all those kids that were praying, we started connecting. All these kids are praying. We're praying for our friends. And, and there's this little uh, kind of dangling, hanging on Christian club that's at the school. So we all start going to that. My junior year, the next year, the thing took off, and I have memories of being with 150 kids at 6.45 in the morning before school, praying for our school, hearing the Word of God taught, having some kids teach, have youth pastors teach, and seeing people get saved. That's my memory of high school. And it was just the grace of God that reached down to us and said, you don't have long. I've never had an environment like that again in my life. I've never been around that many people with as few responsibilities and as much free time as I have right now and as many fertile hearts. I've never had that opportunity again as I had there. And God opened the door and began to save people around us because I'm not patting myself on the back. It was the Lord and people who prayed for me. Because there was a group of people who said, you know what, we, we are not going to waste our time. We're not going to waste these days. It's going to go away. Well, there's going to come a day when we're going to have a lot of other things on us. But right now we've got a lot of freedom. So let's, let's preach the gospel. Let's use that. Let's use that time. Let's reach out. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, do it now. Remember your creator 
verse 1, in the days of your youth, before, that means now, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. There will come a day where days are difficult in the future. There's a freedom middle schooler. There's a freedom high schooler, college student, 28-year-old. There's a freedom that you have right now. So before you get older, use that freedom for the glory of God. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars darken and the clouds return after the rain. He's not going to be depressing about old age, but he's going to be very realistic. And he's going to say, as we get older, things happen. So before you get there, rejoice in God. Because if you don't rejoice in God now, you may get there and not care about God. Do not presume upon God. Do not assume that, yeah, yeah, I can put this off and I'll serve God later when I'm 40. Do not presume because you will arrive at 40 and you won't like God. You won't care about God. You won't remember God. You remember Him now, and you plant seeds now, and you see what kind of harvest you have later. But look what he talks about at the end of life. And I know the time. I'm wrapping up. Here we go. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Serve God and remember God before the storms come, because they're going to come later in life. And he's going to describe that. Verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. It's a beautiful poem. He said, if you live, my grandmother died late 90s, her late 90s, and she used to say, we, we all get old if we live long enough. Profound wisdom. So if you live long enough, you will get old. And this is what most people, not everyone, this is what happens to most people as they age. In the day when the keepers of the home tremble, what's the keeper of the home? It's your hand. It's your arm. It's coming a day when your hands are going to tremble. You're going to be limited physically. So remember the Creator in the days of your youth before that day. When the strong men are bent, probably the legs, you're going to be bent over someday. When the grinders cease, because they are few, grinders of the teeth, when you, when you can't eat anymore because you lose all your teeth, they didn't have any dental stuff like we do now, so now you can die with fake teeth in your mouth. But back then, you lost your teeth, you couldn't eat anything hard. When the grinders cease, because they are few, those who look through the windows are dimmed. What's that? When you look, your sight, you start losing your sight. Man, I'm already there without my glasses, I can't see stuff. So you get there. Hey, before you lose your sight, remember the Creator and rejoice in your youth in the days of your youth. The doors on the street are shut. Shut your door, you can't hear anything outside. It's probably the ears. When the sound of the grinding is low, one rises up at the sound of a bird. What does that mean? Well, some of you are in high school. The alarm's going to go off tomorrow for school. You cannot even wake up and get out of bed. Your greatest problem is waking up in the morning. Here's what happens for elderly people. You hear a bird, boom, you're wide awake. It's like insomnia, light sleeping. Older people are light sleeper. In your high school days, get out of bed, wake up, get up with the alarm, because there's coming a day when you're going to be, you can't even sleep. So remember God now. They're afraid also of what, what is high. Older people um, are vulnerable. Vulnerable to falls. And so they're afraid of what is high because they could fall and get hurt. They can't take risks. If you're older, you can't take physical risks. You can. Wise biblical risk. But you can take a risk. You fall, you get right back up. There are terrors on their way. They're vulnerable. They're afraid. The almond blossom, the almond tree blossoms. I googled that. Saw what a blossoming almond tree is. They're all white. It means when your hair gets white, when your hair gets gray. There's coming that day. The grasshopper drags itself along. There's grasshoppers spring. They jump. They bounce up and down. That's you young people. But there's coming a day when the grasshopper just drags its leg. It's not bouncing around. It's not mobile. There's limitations. You have opportunities you will not have. You can spring. There's coming a day when you will drag. 
So spring for Jesus today is what he's saying. When the desire fails, sometimes older people lose the desire to eat, lose the desire for sex, lose the desire for life itself sometimes, not everyone. So while you still have a desire for life, there's a zest, use that, use that for God. Don't waste it is what he's saying. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, that's a picture of death, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Speaking of the water of life, the pitcher's broken, the water's gone, you're dying. Or the wheel broken at the cistern, you can't draw water from the cistern. The dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Remember God before the moment of your death. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Listen, no one's guaranteed life, but if you live, we will, all, most of us, will slow down at the end. Now, is he saying old people in death are really bad? No, God loves the aged. We should respect the aged far more than we do, do. And God says precious in his sight is the death of his loved ones. He's not saying old is bad, young is good. What he's saying is the opportunity is different. You're not sowing seed for, 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 to, that you're going to experience the harvest for at your death. You're sowing seed by your example, but it's different. Young people, you have your whole life in front of you. It's a time to rejoice. It's not a time to be vexed. It's a time to rejoice. It's a time to serve, to love, to know God. It's a time to remember him in the days of your youth. Here's the big idea. Before it is too late, remember your Creator in order that you may really enjoy life. Before it is too late, remember your Creator. If you're older and you did not, you have regrets from your youth, there is grace. His mercy is new every morning. He restores what we, what we squander. God is faithful. But the reality is there are older people who regret their, their days of youth. And if they could look you in the eye, they would say, do not squander like I did. Grasp the grace of God. Be grasped by the grace of God. Do not waste an hour. Chasing what is meaningless. But follow God, know God, love God today so that you may enjoy life. Let's stand together. If you are in middle school, high school, college, or kind of post-college, if you're 25 or if you're 12 to 25 in this service, could you come on down here? We're going to pray for you as we close. We just want to pray for you. Listen, I hope people my age and older get saved, but the harvest is primarily their peers. Isn't this wonderful? You guys come on down. Isn't it wonderful? You guys come on down. We love you guys as a church. We're so proud of you guys. We're counting on you guys. So don't blow it. No, you <laughs> rest in motion. We're counting on God to work through you. But don't blow it. So we are, we're trusting the Lord in that. You guys, can you all scoot a little further? We've got some folks there. I'm just going to pray for you. Because it is so, we cannot communicate how vital and how key it is game time for each of you. It's not the warm up, it's not wait, it is game time today. And so we want to pray that the Spirit of God would touch you, that your heart would be for Him, that you'd rejoice in Him in your youth, and that He would use every one of you for His glory. And uh, that you'd look back without regret, but you look back saying, I'm remembering, I remember my Creator in youth. Boy, was I joyful about that. And I'm remembering him in middle age, and I'm remembering him in old age. And isn't God good? Now let's die for the glory of God. I hope that's your script. I hope that's the script of your life. I believe it will be. Let's pray.
You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Thank you.